I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story. I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 26. Caution. The Opposite of Destroying. If I could lose the memory of the bitter cold, that night of the bomb, the way the trees scratched the sky, the husband's eyes wild, the air like a sheet of ice hung between us, I would. If I could, I would take that memory and crumple it up like a piece of paper with a bad poem on it. I'd toss it into the little plastic wastebasket of a hotel I'll never go back to. If I could, I'd take it into the woods, set it on fire, then bury the ashes in a hand-dug latrine. I'd cover it with a thousand rocks, the bigger the better, then add some fallen tree trunks for good measure. If I could, I'd take the memory of that horrible night and feed it to a bunch of carpenter ants who'd devour it slowly but completely. The queen would get the best part, of course. How different he suddenly looked. Fearful. I would take that memory, so precise in its pain, so profound in its damage, and I'd put it in a capsule, heavy and secure, and I'd throw it into the sea. I'd watch it sail out in an arc of momentary beauty before it suddenly pitched hard downward, falling toward the water, sharp as a dart. It would sink to the bottom and land there, deep in the muddy darkness, where the absence of everything folds around it until it's nothing to me anymore. So far down, I can't hear it. I can't feel it. I've destroyed it. I'm free. If I could have, I would have. Instead, I didn't destroy the memory of that horrible night at all. I wrote it down. I whispered it into a microphone. I gave it life, so it wouldn't only be mine to forget. This love is not simple. Between his third and fourth snore, I whisper, I love you. I always wait the same amount of time, there between the third and fourth snore, as if it matters if he hears me or not, as if it matters since he knows it, 
everyone knows it. And yet I work hard to contain it, contain I love you, saving it only for the times when wine or weed help it to just slide right out of my mouth. Those times when it rushes out of me too fast to catch it. My defense is down as I look at him looking at me, and then all bets are off, and out it comes. I love you, I love you, I love you. Like a burst pipe on a summer street. Beautiful and tragic, all short-term happiness, but so much waste. So usually, I wait for the man with the white shirt to nod off. I know that by the third loud rumble, he's surely asleep, and there I can safely say, I love you, I love you, I love you. I can just whisper it into his ear and not feel like a heartbreak soul singer from the 60s, loving a man no matter that he can't love her back the way she needs. But that's who I am. I'm a heartbreak soul singer from the 60s. I'll take whatever he gives me, but sing sassily about it. I lose my feminist card between the third and fourth snore. I lose the game, my edge, I lose the future, I lose it all when I just lie there, unlocking the contents of my heart as he so contentedly sleeps. And me, so content just to look at his face, I may as well be fanning a palm frond over him. I am that cliche a woman at this point, but this love, it isn't simple. It exists. Birdie is skipping ahead on the sidewalk in front of us. Okay, not skipping, but jumping along, full of cotton candy and the wild night air. We're under the expressway, walking home from a night at the CNE, the giant fair that sets up for only two weeks of the year, signaling the end of another summer. I love the CNE, especially at night. I take Birdie every year, at least once, and always on a weeknight. We walk through the midway, thick with people and colorful lights, eating mini powdered donuts, going on rides, wasting all my money on ring toss and skee ball. And then, when most kids her age are home and asleep for hours, Birdie and I walk back home to our apartment. The first few years after the bomb, when she was still so young, I'd carry her the entire way home. Away from the lights and corn dogs and rowdy teenagers, through the big archway they call the Prince's Gates, gleaming white and ornate, a 19th century tribute to fairgrounds. From there, we'd walk along the south entrance of the army barracks, then under the expressway, Fort York to one side of us, and a new fortress of condos to the other. When we reached the Bathurst Street Bridge, we knew we were in the home stretch. That's where I'd always point out that this was the only place where she could see both her homes at once. The ex-husband's building on the west side of the bridge and mine on the east. Pretty cool, eh? I'd say. And she'd say, for sure, Mom.
As she got older, we'd make a show of who was more tired on that long walk back, who could drag their feet more, or who could drive the other crazy with peppy positivity, who could run the fastest. We'd stop and watch the trains rumble under the bridge. We'd take blurry selfies with the city lights and CN Tower behind us. The walk home, almost as good as our night at the fair. This year is a bit different. This year, the man with the white shirt came with us to the CNE. He's walking beside me now as Bertie runs ahead of us. He's taking my hand in his. He's saying, Happy anniversary. Holy shit. It's August 22nd, 2016. Three years to the day that we first saw each other across a crowded cafe. I know this, of course, because I know the dates of everything. But for White Shirt to know it and acknowledge it is big. Big, big. I'm almost paralyzed by the bigness of it. Happy anniversary. And we stop to kiss, but not too long because Bertie's up ahead and it's 11 p.m. and we're under the roaring highway in our beautiful city on this perfect August night. We sprint to catch her and she laughs. And even though she's almost as tall as me now, the man with the white shirt lifts her up onto one of his shoulders and carries her there, side saddle. Looking at the two of them, I feel light. When we get home, he puts her to bed, and I eavesdrop on their conversation, staccato with laughter. We kiss long and hard at the door when it's time for him to go. I'll see you in a few days, and we'll talk, he says, and I'm afraid. Afraid of what this all means or doesn't mean. Three years ago, when I saw him, everything changed in an instant. But it's been so rocky and painful and confusing since then. I want this anniversary to be happy. I do. I want to let the happiness in. But I don't know if it's real this time. Everything's going to be okay, says the man with the white shirt. And I only sort of believe him. Four days later, I'm at his apartment. He's acting so strange, and I can't breathe or speak. I feel like everything's on the line, even though nothing is. I don't know what he's going to say, and I've never felt so frightened of what it might be. You can't blame me, can you? He's been pretty unpredictable these past three years, so inconsistent with his push-pull, the way he always keeps his love for me on a retractable leash. The man with the white shirt is really taking his time now to say the things he says he needs to say to me. Everything in my body is tense, waiting for the firing gun. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. 
What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I'm, I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. You understand? Limited capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. And then he says, I want you to be my girl. Like it's the 50s, and we're at the chocolate shop, and he's finally picking Betty or Veronica. I want to be able to introduce you as my beautiful girlfriend. He continues. I want you to never have to call me the not-boyfriend again. I love you, and I only want to love you. I don't want to love anyone else. This, this isn't a maybe from the man with the white shirt. This is a fuck yes. And then we kiss so sweetly. It is like it's the 50s and we're in the chocolate shop and he's chosen Veronica. Obviously. I can't believe this is happening. Especially now. He's just gotten his dream job as a flight attendant. And in a few days, he's about to leave for flight school and will be gone for the next five weeks. What a weird way to start. I know he'll retract it. I just know it. In a few days, once he gets there and settled and is surrounded by all those young flight attendants, he'll realize he made a mistake. He'll change his mind. He's always changing his mind. Why would this big declaration be any different? I take him to the airport to see him off. I remind him he's going to do great. I give him a small rosary I bought in Vatican City when I was there at the start of summer on my solo adventure. I always travel with a rosary because flying scares me. I don't trust it, you know? It just seems very unlikely that airplanes are even possible. It's sorcery. With this job, White Shirt will be flying all the time, sometimes several times a day. This freaks me out, and I make him promise he will always have this little rosary on him when he flies. He promises. We're both crying as we say goodbye, hugging and kissing at the gate, and totally that couple in the airport. For the first few weeks, he's gone. Every single day, I expect him to call to tell me he's changed his mind, that he was swept up in the moment of getting his dream job and feeling emotional. I wake up every morning and think, this will be the day. So I say to my friends, we'll see. Who knows what's going to happen? You know, white shirt. And I shrug and roll my eyes and pretend to be breezy about it. I remain unconvinced, cautious, cautiously on cloud nine, yet again. One of us cannot be wrong. Dear White Shirt, I had a hard time sleeping. I felt anxious 
I felt so much unknowing. The more I thought about trust, the darker it all got. The more I thought about the things you said before you left, the lighter it all got. I'm not sure I've been this uneasy in this whole three years. I'm not sure I've been happier, but I'm scared. I'm scared about everything you've said because I'm programmed to believe you're unpredictable and fickle. All my caution flags are up. This got heavy. My intention was to send you light. Will you change your mind? Neither of us can be sure. The Outlier He doesn't change his mind. Every single day, he messages me or calls me or Skypes. He says, I love you. He tells me how much he misses me, how much he needs me. After five weeks, he returns from flight school, and it's the same. The man with the white shirt is finally, actually, my boyfriend. We are doing this. It exists. I can't believe it. Neither can a lot of people. It's like a miracle from the baby Jesus himself, says my friend, the bright one. We're eating takeout Thai food in my apartment with solo time and Big Laugh. Big Laugh shouts and slaps the table with laughter. The baby Jesus, right? <laughs> oh, I knew it would happen, says solo time, ever team white shirt. Yep. And Big Laugh agrees. He loves you. I knew it. But love isn't what's at question. It's whether he knows what to do with that love. And this remains to be seen. It keeps me cautious. It keeps my own love at bay. The bright one kisses her teeth. It's a damn miracle she says, and I can see she's unconvinced that he's changed. Still, it's easy to be swept up in it, the new man with the white shirt. You would have the cutest mixed-race babies, says Big Laugh who's here in a rare moment away from her own mixed-race babies. And then the four of us launch hard into a discussion about using the term mixed-race versus multiracial or biracial, and then how different it is to be biracial but present white or whitish, like the man with the white shirt and his sister, versus Big Laugh's two children, who also have a black mom and a white dad but present black. We talk about the recent Black Lives Matter movement, what's happening in our careers, and which Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie book is our favorite. We all love her and can't agree on one book and end up talking about all of them. And that gets us back to race and romance 
and right back to that miracle from the baby Jesus himself, the man with the white shirt. God, I love my friends. Now that the miracle is real, I have to explain to Bertie what it all means. You guys are going to kiss now? Ugh, is what she says, making a disgusted face. Because she's nine, and anything kissy or lovey-dovey is super gross to her. But all she really cares about is one thing. Does this mean we get to see him more? Her eyes are bright with expectation, and I tell her, yes, we will see him more. And sometimes, he might even sleep over. Awesome, she says, because I love him. He's so fun. He sure is, Bird. In a closed women's Facebook group I'm in, someone posts about how awful the dating scene is, how all the men are boys, and we're all doomed to be single forever. I post back a few words about white shirts change of heart and how you just never know. Sometimes when you least expect it, the boy becomes a man. The matchmaker, who's become my friend and is also in this group, posts in reply, Yes, of course, except for White Shirt, the outlier. And this new nickname sticks. The outlier. It's perfect. I knew he was better than all the others. I knew he would choose love over wanderlust. I knew he was right for me despite all the wrongs. And if I loved him hard enough, he'd want to try for real. For the next nine months, anyway. You're listening to Alone, a love story. Written by me, Michelle Parisi. It's a CBC podcast. The story editor is Mark Apollonio. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Mark, here in our hometown of Toronto. Head over to cbc.ca slash alone. If you can believe it, I still have a lot more to say about each episode. More stories, a lot about music, and photos, too. You can also find me on Twitter at AloneCBC. Stick with me. I want to tell you about what happens when the not-boyfriend becomes the boyfriend. Hey, there's another CBC podcast I want to tell you about. It's called Play Me. They take some of the hottest plays and transform them into contemporary audio dramas. Subscribe today. For more CBC podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.